Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Trollodren. Legends and lore. Episode 19, Othone. Well, hello and welcome again to Traveler in Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey. And today, before we get into things again, I'm going to do a little bit of an announcement here. Try not to take too long here. But I want to make people aware who might not be aware about the upcoming third book in the Wizard King trilogy, Triumph of the Wizard King, which will be coming out August 31st. So make your, uh, check it out online, check it out at libraries, pre-order it. Um, do check out the website, chadcorey.com. There should be some sample uh, sample chapters, some reviews, information about it. Some, I think, maybe some sample audio by this time. Again, depending upon when you're listening to this podcast. So they should be able to make kind of more of an informed decision what it is about. Obviously, being the third book, you might not know what it's about without taking a look at book one and book two. So those are also on the website. But they're also available in libraries and bookstores, like I said so you can avail yourself of that as well if you want to get the entire series. And I will be doing a tour and an upcoming events and promotional things for it as well, which you can find it again at my website, chadcorey.com. And if you just want to learn more basic information, just be kind of given that information as it becomes available. You can always subscribe to the email newsletter as well as follow me on social media. I'm at Creator Chad on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I will be sharing more information, pictures, and all that kind of fun stuff, upcoming tours and things as things progress. But there you go. It is out soon. I should say it's pre-order right now, but it will be coming out the 31st of August. And there will be some fun, hopefully fun, promotional things and stuff going on with that when it does come out. So there's my plug for that. Now let's transition into the rest of the episode here. We're going to talk about Othone. Now, for those who are, again, a little bit of a recap, we're talking about all the different deities in the Trilodrone pantheon. And we're doing that from their order of birth. So we've been started with Girthgol, and now we worked our way all the way down to Othone. And Othone is an interesting character. She is, I guess you can say, we talked about Kuthone last episode, and she is basically the yin to his yang, if you want to use that expression. She is kind of the opposite of everything that Kuthone is. And that's the unique nature of the Trilodrone Pantheon, is that there is a, I guess you can say, dynamic dichotomy between different people in it. You have, for instance, Ganatar and Remanas also, but also he's also an opposite of Girthgall. You have things like Othone and Kuthone. You have Asalak and Asora. I mean, just, just different things where they have different I don't want to see diametrically opposing viewpoints, but just different opposing ways of thinking, shall we say, or philosophies or areas where they are in control. Now, Othone is, for relational sake, she is the sister of Girthgal, Ganatar, Drayden, Ceredel, Ashlak, Asora, and Kuthone. She is the aunt to Proloza, Remanas, and Shirill. And she is the mother to Kasila and Indarin, and the wife 
to Ganatar. She's one of the light gods. And this is the one we talked about previously, uh, different episodes here about people that are married, and she is definitely one of the ones that is married. She is married to Ganatar, and this is the marriage I keep saying is the quote-unquote ideal or perfect marriage as we understand it. They live together, they have a great relationship, their kids are normal for the most part and and behaved and they just you know you think of them as a typical normal family that you know everything is pretty much decent normal no no real issues and that's kind of fitting since they kind of encapsulate and and together they are combined into what you think of as the civilized pantheon whereas other different groups of gods usually are not always found in the same places as these guys are these guys are pretty much, uh, Othon at least, is found pretty much anywhere there is civilization. And why is that? Because she is basically the goddess of peace and prosperity. Now, I mentioned about this in previous episodes. Um, again, I'll say it again. Not every god enveloped or took on control of a certain cosmic element. For example, last episode we talked about Cuthon. He basically was a god of strength for the most part in, in warfare and giants and such. He, there's no cosmic element in that. So he's one of those unique deities that doesn't have a specific element that people can tie him to. And he doesn't have that, therefore, universality that you would expect, like, say, the god of light would have. Because, you know, light's basically everywhere. And everybody kind of has some type of relationship with it. But the exception with this is with Othon. Even though she doesn't have a cosmic element, she has something that is basically kind of desired by everybody. Everyone pretty much wants peace and prosperity, Right or various forms of it. So she's basically something that any civilized person at least pays lip service to, or at least seeks after some way, shape, or form, or tries not to offend, shall we say, the deity or people that promote that if they can help it. And then, of course, you have the whole thing of her being the wife of Ganatar, so there's another wrinkle in there as well that people might not want to get her feathers ruffled, so to speak, and uh, cause any issues that way. So as you, you know, obviously she's going to be a big popular one, like I said, in, in uh, civilized land, especially in trading ports or places where there's a lot of business that needs to be done or merchants, obviously, or traders, merchants, uh, basically rulers, people who make their money or want to have stability, want to have peace, people that don't like war in general, who just want to maintain peace. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of avenues and areas you can go on that. And her religion as well is divided into different facets of how people decide to worship her. And what they go after in general. I'm not going to, like I said, not going to get into that in these episodes. Maybe for another, another season, another deep delve, so to speak. This is just kind of getting the overview of who they are and what they're about. Some of her titles are Mother Peace, the Dove Goddess, Bearer of the Olive Branch, Peacekeeper, Noble Warrioress, Maiden of Increase, Lady of Provision, Ganatar's Queen, and the Merchant's Friend. And her symbol has been called the Prosperous Wreath. For obvious reason, it's a laurel wreath opening at the bottom and housing a white dove at its center. And the dove itself is grasping a coin purse in one foot and an olive branch in the other. And then the dove's wings are spread wide and its head is turned to the left in profile. So it's kind of this neat little imagery there. Uh, it's used on banners, backgrounds and such, usually in those situations. Or just like a soft blue. The wreath is an olive green. Uh... The coin purse is usually like a brown. The dove, of course, is white. And for the priests, like a lot of other priests in the uh, the world of Trilodon, they they wear the symbol as a pendant, as a bas relief on a medallion. It's made of gold or silver or bronze, again, based upon the level of wealth and influence or rank the priest might have. And it's affixed to green straps or cords of leather or, or cloth. 
Now, as I mentioned in the episode with Ganatar, she is the co-regent, I guess you could say, or co-ruler of the realm of Sivas. What happened is kind of a very, very unique situation when they when she married Ganatar, they they literally merged everything. I mean, it was a total marriage of everything. They they merged their realms, they merged their power base, they merged their their afterlife power and all that kind of stuff. They they rule over into one unique place called Sivas. And so basically you end up going there if you're a follower of Ganatar or a follower of Othon. And kind of a neat little side note, there's also a little place carved out there for followers of the race gods. So yeah, it's kind of a large, large place for the afterlife. And obviously given that and the tie to the race gods, which we'll get to in future episodes, they have a very strong following, like I said, in a lot of different areas, in a primarily most immortal kind, is going to pay her lip service in some way, shape, or form. Now, obviously, she has uh, opposition on the light gods and, and the council there, and she rules kind of from that philosophy. People usually see her as she wishes to be true to herself, I guess I can say. She wishes to be seen more likely than not that she really is. And she's unique in the gods in that she has wings, and these are like white dove wings. And generally, she is, again, like all gods of the first generation, she's 15 feet tall, and she has curly, golden brown, uh, excuse me, curly, golden blonde hair. She's fair-skinned with bright green eyes, and again, she has those white dove wings. And she typically wears different outfits based upon, you know, where, where she is, what she's doing. So she doesn't really have a uniform that you could consider her wearing, like, you know, she always wears this or always carries that kind of thing. But she's usually portrayed as, as some type of opulence, some type of, uh, when she's portrayed in you know religious texts or imagery or, or visions or things, she's usually conveying a sense of having abundance or provision or things, you know, so it's coin purses or she's dressed, you know, extravagantly or has decorations or jewelry that has like a coin or, or you know, wealth type of motif tied to it in some way, shape or form or peace motif or things like that. If you understand what I'm trying to say, that's kind of how she's usually understood to be portrayed in the religious context and things like that. Generally speaking, though, she is well-perceived. She is something that people don't really have any issues with. Again, they don't really want to ruffle her feathers uh, you know, and get on the bad side of peace and prosperity. Her children are well-behaved in, in the cosmic sense. I mean, they're not seen as these deviant terrible deities. Um, actually, the, the kids she had are pretty well received by the population in general. These, you know, the kids, of course, being Kasilla and Indarian, and they have their own unique portfolios that we'll get into in extra, future episodes as well. There are some things that will be happening with her in future stories and in future aspects of the world setting, which I don't know if it's appropriate to get into at this time, but needless to say, she does have some followers of a more militant bent, and these are not necessarily those that you think would be, you know, they don't go out and fight wars necessarily just to fight wars. They're more of like a peacekeeping type of philosophy. So they are soldiers and warriors who fight to keep the peace and don't engage in things needlessly like warfare and strife and division and stuff. They try and find ways to stop it and make warfare the last resort in which case they're trained and prepared to make a decisive battle out of it, and, you know, decisive resolution out of it. She's also a very, I guess I don't want to say staunch opponent, but she's not a big fan of Cuthon and his wars and conquests. The whole philosophy just doesn't sit well with her. And so she is, 
if you want to say, usually in opposition most of the time to what he's trying to do. Obviously, they have similar things they share because they're family and they have similar goals they want to accomplish in the Pantheon. But more often than not, when he gets to doing his own shenanigans on Trollodon or elsewhere, she's usually on some level of opposition to it and, and trying to stand against it or, or correct or correct or hinder whatever needs to be done with it. Again, that's generally what she's about. She might be ideally a diplomat might call upon if they're trying to make a peace treaty. Rulers obviously want to curry her favor with obviously peace and prosperity and stuff like that. Traders and merchants, like I said before. So there's a pretty wide swath of the general population that that at least look on her with a favorable light for obvious reasons. And so she's not really vilified or has any problems with really anybody. So it's not unusual that you would find a shrine or a temple or some type of you know religious gathering in just about every city, town, village. Somewhere there's people that would get together and, and, and worship her some way, shape, or form. And I think that is what we're going to wrap up for this particular episode. Again, there's more I could share, but I just... I don't feel right sharing it right now because I want to have that be more powerful and impactful when it does come out with future books or installments of things that are in the in the works now. So just have to be happy with what we got so far for her with this episode. And again, if you have any questions about anything, comments or concerns you want to pass on, do feel free to send me an email at lore, that's L-O-R-E, at chadcorey, that's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. Otherwise, thanks very much for taking the time to take a listen, and we'll see you next episode. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.